And the story we're talking about takes exactly six and a half weeks into that journey, which is interesting. If you read the story, it tells us that it's six and a half weeks into the journey. It's very specific, six and a half weeks. And that's interesting, isn't it? As this story has gotten passed down for almost 3,000 years, as people told it and told it and told it, they all remember to say it was six and a half weeks. Which tells us something. They were keeping track. They knew intimately how much time had passed since they left. And so the question is, why? Why were they keeping track? And the story tells us it's because they were starving. It had been six and a half weeks since they had something decent to eat and drink. They were counting the days since they last felt full. And it's not like they were just hanging around in the wilderness. They were walking. They were running away from armies that were chasing them. They were searching. They were freaking out. They were worrying. They were expending a lot of energy. Moving closer and closer and closer, they assumed, to this place that God said God was going to lead them. But after six and a half weeks, the entire group, we're told, is fed up. And so they do the thing that faith communities do when they go into uncomfortable and, and tough places. They complain. They go up to Moses and they say, everyone is upset. I have heard it from every single person that they are fed up. We would rather be dead than keep going. At least back in Egypt, at least we had all the food we could eat, but here we're going to die from starvation. Which, of course, is not true at all. But that's what we do with our pain, isn't it? When the going gets tough and we get uncomfortable, things kind of get fuzzy and we get distorted. And everything that came before the pain, suddenly that's romanticized, it's idealized, it's this beautiful thing that we all want to go back to. And so we do the very human thing of turning around and going back instead of the tougher but wiser choice of going forward through the pain. And so Moses, he receives all these complaints. He's the leader of the group. And he goes and tells God what's up. And God's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'll give them some food. But they can only take what they each need. Only take enough for one day. No more, no less. And God, being a God who hears and provides, does exactly that. The next day, suddenly there are birds everywhere. And people are chasing the birds, setting traps, throwing stones at them, trying to capture all the birds that they could eat. And the next morning, people wake up, and there's all this white, flaky stuff on the ground. And one person decides to eat it, and he's like, oh, honey and coriander. We could probably make bread out of that. And he goes up to Moses, and he says, what is it? And Moses replies, what is it? And the guys are like, no, what is it? That's what I'm asking you. And Moses says, what is it? And Moses is like, what is it? I know. Because the name for the stuff is manna, which literally means, what is it? It was funnier in my head. 
And now it's called that. It's called manna because we, we literally don't know what it is. As the story's been told, it's been left out. It's just called, what is it? Um, and I think we don't need to know. I think that's the point. All we really need to know is that God provided. But because humans were not really good with ambiguities, because we like to know stuff, sometimes to our detriment, speaking to you, Adam and Eve, over the millennia, we have tried to figure out just exactly what is it. And here are a few of my favorite things that humans have said, this is what manna is. And let's just keep in mind, these are real, legit scholars and scientists trying to figure out what manna is. So, in 1920, after an extensive study, um, it was determined that maybe manna is the slime that plant lice left on the branches and it dried in the sun, and they collected it and ate it. In 2006, 2006, it was the dried algae that blew in from the ocean. Others say it's old beetle cocoons. And finally, literally food from heaven. The angels were up in heaven, and they just threw the food down, and people literally ate angel food. But whatever it was, it was there. The God who, prov- who accompanied them across the wilderness heard their cries and provided some food. And if everyone followed God's instructions, the one rule that God gave them to only take enough, there was enough for everyone to be satisfied. But if someone broke the rule, if someone took too much... If someone looked ahead to the weekend and was like, I just want to watch Netflix and binge eat a lot of food, the food would turn moldy all of a sudden. And all that excess food that they gathered would go to waste. And that's the story. And as we do with so many of the stories that we talk about that are in our scriptures, we need to ask, why is this in here? And not so much the story itself, but the details it gives us. Because we could have just heard they were traveling through the wilderness, they got hungry, and God being a gracious and beautiful God, God provided. The takeaway would be the same. The point would be the same. And then so far, it's just so many less details to remember, Right? So why did the story last in this form? Why did everyone remember those specific details? I wonder if it's because we've realized over the years that we still need those details. I wonder if the wisdom isn't just that God fed them, but it was all the other stuff too. I wonder if the story kept getting told, not just as a weird transformative story, but I wonder if it was told as a cautionary tale. And over the years we kept figuring out that, oh, this is a cautionary tale that we need to hear. So this thing happens at our house every week when we make our menu and go and get groceries, and I'm curious if it happens to you too. It happens to us more than we want to admit. We'll go out and we'll buy all this amazing food, and we're pretty excited to make these delicious meals with it. 
So we go up by it, we put it in our fridge. And then a week later, we open the fridge, and all the food is still there. <laughs> but it's gone bad, it's gone wilty, and so we've got to open up the cupboard underneath our sink, and we've got to throw it in the compost. Anyone else ever experienced that? Yeah, some of you are lying. <laughs> yeah, we're not the only ones who buy bananas to watch them grow back, go, go brown. In Canada, in our country, we throw out 40% of the food that we buy. Out of all the food that we buy, we throw away 40% of it, 63 of which is still edible. 63% of the food that we buy, that we throw out, you can still eat it, but we throw it out. If you do the math on that, that's about $1,100 per family a year of food that we throw out. Just picking up your wallet, throwing it in the garbage. $1,100 a year. Add that up across Canada, $17 billion of wasted food per year. Billion. $17 billion going down the garbage. And just to put that into perspective for us, based on what the average family spends on groceries per month, that would feed 6.6 .6 million families a year. The food underneath our sinks would feed over two-thirds of the family in Canada. We could essentially feed the entire country on the food that we throw out. And that doesn't even take into account what restaurants and grocery stores throw out. That's simply how we, the average Canadians, treat the food that we buy. How we act tells us a lot about how we think. And these actions around our food tells us that we see food as anything but glorious. To us, food is just a thing. It's something that has no value. It's not very special. It's something that we can just toss out and not think anything of it. But here's where we circle back and we remember that, that grounding truth, that everything is spiritual. Because if everything is spiritual, if everything does have a sacred weight to it, I wonder if this story is trying to remind us of something. I wonder if all those details this story gives us are its attempt to challenge us about how we think about food. I wonder if it's reminding us that food is glorious, that food is sacred, and it's something we need to hold a bit more reverently. So three things this story tells us about how we, as people of faith and spirituality, are supposed to hold the food that we buy. Still with me. So first, how did the people get the food in the story? How did they get the food that they ate? Not rhetorical. It came to them. came from God. God provided it. God gives it to them. Which makes it a what? It's a gift. One of the things this story reminds us of is that food is a gift. It's not a commodity. It's not a thing. It's not something we can just make on our own. 
but it's something that needs to be given from God, from the earth, from the farmers, from the harvesters, from the makers, from the grocery store workers. Food is a gift that is given and provided. I wonder if we sometimes forget that. I mean, it's not hard to when the excess and excess is all around us. But the reminder of this story is that food is a gift. It's a gift of life from the source of life. And now, as all our parents try to teach us, what do you do with a gift? What's the first thing you do after you get one? You say thank you. You write the freaking thank you card. How much I rebelled against writing those cards. But gratitude, yeah, it's what you do when you get a gift. That's why we say grace before a meal. It's supposed to remind us that this is is graciously provided, that this food is a gift. But that's not the only response to a gift. There's something else we're supposed to do with the gifts, with the food that we receive. And I think the best way to sum up that thing is through a picture. Food is a gift that we should take delight in. If that baby is doing anything, she is taking delight in her food. As the amazing and wonderful poet Ross Gay puts it, delight is a wake of joy. It's a wake of joy. It is those fleeting moments that flow through our day that Mary Oliver would say that kill us. These wakes of joy that kill us, that move us from one way of existence into another. Delight is the practice of experiencing just how amazing and joyful our world can be. The gift of food isn't something that we just treat so casually but it's something that we should take delight in receiving and having. And so if that's one way we're supposed to hold food, some questions for us. What would it mean for you to take delight in your food? Would seeing it as a delightful gift change how we see it? Would it change it from being something that we just throw out to something we treasure? And would that then change those stats that we hear about? But here's the thing about delight, and this takes us to the second thing. There's this old parable that talks about a minister. And every single Sunday at this minister's church, he would preach out the most amazing, inspiring, most beautiful sermon you could ever possibly hear. Every Sunday after church, you can go to the next slide, the place was on fire. People were just like whooped up. They were feeling it. It was amazing. And he'd end the worship the same way every single Sunday. He would be like, what are you going to go do to make this world a better place? How are you going to go feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and visit the imprisoned? What are you going to do? I'm going to go do all those things. And all the people will be like, yes, yes, yes. And they'd all storm out of the church and wave goodbye to the minister as he drove off in his little car to save the world. The truth, however, was the minister would drive to two cities over and play a leisurely 18 holes of golf away from all his family, friends, and church. 
And now we all know, we all know that God doesn't go to church. God is too busy doing other things. But the devil, the devil shows up every single Sunday. And the actions of this minister were just were so hypocritical that even the devil himself could not handle it. So one day the devil goes, tells God, this is what's going on. You've got to do something about this. It's terrible. And God, she's like, you're right. Leave it to me. I'll go check it out. So God goes to church the next Sunday, and she is just so amazed by everything that's going on, she's almost moved to go and do the altar call herself. But knowing what the devil said, she follows the minister, and sure enough, follows the minister to the golf course and watches him play golf. She's like, this, this, this can't happen. And so the minister, he goes up to the first tee, hits it all the way to the green, and plunk right into the hole, a hole in one. Hole two, tees off, slices it, but then it hits a tree, hits a rock, jumps, and goes into the second hole. Another hole in one. And every single hole after that, the minister would get a hole in one. He played a perfect game. And he finishes it, and he's just super stoked. He just had a perfect game. This is amazing. And then devil just is so frustrated because he's like, God, I thought you were going to punish him, but you just gave him a perfect game. And God says, maybe, but who's he going to tell? <laughs> That's the thing about delight. Delight needs to be shared. Delight is innately relational. It's communal. The delight does not come from the action itself. But it comes in sharing the delight. It comes in telling people about it, sharing it, drawing people into the experience that you had. Delight is only delight if you can share it. So if food is supposed to be something that we take delight in, then food is something that we're supposed to share. And I wonder if that's the other thing this story gets at. Here are these people in the middle of the desert, in the grips of scarcity and fear, these people who have not had food for six and a half weeks. And suddenly they've got it. It's in their hands. It's all around them. There's an abundance of it. And the one rule that God gives them, only take enough. When it comes to how we see food, it's not just ourselves that we're supposed to be concerned with. It's not just what's in front of us that matters. It's also what's in front of everyone else that matters. The reason God said only take enough isn't because God didn't want them eating too much. It's because God wanted them to learn how to be neighbors. God wanted them to see each other not as competitors, but as teammates, as neighbors, as humans, as people who deserve the gift as well. And by giving them that ethic of enough, it forced people to look at the bowls of those around them, not to see if they have more than them, but to see if they have enough. And this is why gluttony is a sin. It's not a sin because you eat too much. It's a sin because it takes away from somebody else. Greed will separate us from our neighbors, while enough will bring us closer 
to our neighbors. So some more questions for you. What does enough genuinely, sincerely, and honestly look like? When you take enough, what does it look like? How much is enough? What's one thing that we can do to see the people who live around us not as competitors, as if this whole game of as if survival is a game, but to see them as neighbors? And how can we make sure there's enough in the bowls of the people around us? And finally, the last thing. And this one has nothing to do with the story. But this one is a, a question we should all ask. And this one goes back to a, a conversation I had with a friend like four years ago. And he asked me a question. And I have not been able to answer this question since. Four years of rumbling with this question. And I want to rumble in it with you. And so again, just like the questions we've already asked, this is one I can't answer for you. This is one that you have to ask and answer it yourself. But I think we do have to answer it at some point. Can we agree that God is a God of love, peace, and justice? Can we agree that God is all about healing this world, making it whole, bringing all things and all people back together in wholeness and harmony? Can we agree that that's what Jesus invites us into? So can we agree? Your yeses are getting less and less and less. <laughs> you know where this is going. Let's, no, we're going to go back. That was not boisterous enough. Can we agree that God is a God of grace, peace, and justice? Can we agree that God is about healing this world and bringing all people and all things back together? Yes. Can we? Because you don't have to like it. <laughs> can we agree that that's the work that Jesus invites us into? Yes. So can we agree that one of our fundamental jobs as humans is to put the least amount of cruelty into the world as possible? How does that change how we eat? How does that challenge, how does the fundamental work of putting the least amount of cruelty into the world as possible, how does that change what we buy and consume? How does that call us to be mindful of packaging and processes? How does that change how we eat meat? How does that change where and how we shop? What would it look like to walk around the grocery store and have the ethic of enough delight and cruelty shape what and how we buy? It's taken me four years to answer that question. And I think that question, just like all the questions that we brought up today, they're not really ones that we can come up with a definitive answer. But rather, that's the journey that we have to go on. That we are a people of God, that we are spiritual people, and if everything is spiritual, including food, these are the questions that we must constantly ask ourselves.
Am I taking delight in it? Does everyone have enough? And am I being cruel to someone, someplace, or something by eating this thing? So those are questions that you have to rumble with. Those are questions that I invite you to get messy with, to get sweaty with, and see where they take you. I'd love to hear where they take you. I'd love to talk to you about that. But go out into this world and hold food as sacred. Hold it as a gift, as something graciously provided. And may you take the light in it, may you share it, and may you treat it well. So may you go in peace, may you go in love, may you go and do it loudly. And grace and peace be with you.